0: Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Welcome to A.T. Stewart Ministries' presentation of Expository preaching. How to Preach Expository Sermons I am your host, A.T. Stewart Why am I qualified to teach you this class on expository preaching? Well, first of all, I have had 40 years of experience as a senior pastor Many of those preaching three times a week Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night I figured that I have preached over 3,000 sermons. I may not be an expert, I don't claim to be, but I surely have some experience in preaching that I hope can help you as an upcoming preacher yourself. Also, I earned a Doctor of Ministry in Expository Preaching in 2006 from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. My youngest children were teenagers and I decided that I needed more education and I would have time to go back since I was pastoring a church and raising a family and my family was pretty much raised so I'd have time to go back so I went back to school uh, to learn expository preaching. I have also served as adjunct professor of preaching at Point University from September 2010 to 2014. And I taught a class on expository preaching. Now, if you want to check out my sermons and see if they're worth listening to, then you can go to my website at atstuart.com. And this is the front page of the website. And as you will see, there are... Different links you can go to to hear free sermons. Uh, Recent sermons will give you a link to another sermon audio website where all my sermons are listed. Uh, But you can find many sermons there, and all of them are free. And I would encourage you to check out and see if... uh, I think if you... The old saying, if you can't do, teach... Uh, I hope it's more if you can do do and teach also others to do so we're doing our class on expository preaching I believe expository preaching is the most biblical way of presenting God's truth and we're going to be talking about that in our first lesson we're going to seek a definition of expository preaching now, one thing I've found out in my study is there is no uniform definition of expository preaching. It seems that uh, as many expositors as there are, they have their own definition of expository preaching. And, of course, I have my own as well. And I want to share with you some leading expositors' definitions of expository preaching. And then I'm going to give you my own Definition of expository preaching that we will be using in this class. Now, as we look at some definitions of expository preaching, the first one I want to point out is Jerry Vines, who wrote a book on expository preaching called A Practical Guide to Sermon Preparation. In that book, he defines expository preaching as an expository sermon is one that expounds a passage of Scripture, organizes it around a central theme and main point, then decisively applies its message to the listeners. Then we have another definition as well by Al Moler, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he says, "...expository preaching is the mode of Christian preaching." which takes as its central purpose the presentation and application of the text of the Bible. All of the issues and concerns are subordinated to the central task of presenting the biblical text. As the Word of God, the text of Scripture has a right to establish both the substance and structure of the sermon. Genuine exposition takes place when the preacher sets forth the meaning and message of the biblical text, and makes clear how the Word of God establishes the identity and worldview of the church as the people of God. And then the last definition we'll be looking at is by the late Stephen Olford in his book Anointed Expository Preaching. He says expository preaching is the Spirit empowered explanation and proclamation of the text of God's Word with due regard to the historical, contextual, grammatical, and doctrinal significance of the given passage with the specific object of invoking a Christ-transforming response. Now, these are all good definitions. I don't have anything against them. Uh, They just don't say everything that I want to say. Now Stephen Olford has another definition of expository preaching that I read that's very easy to remember and it's probably one you will remember better than you will remember any of these or you will remember mine. And if you will remember his short definition of expository preaching, it will guide you. He says expository preaching is to read the text, to explain the text, and to apply the text. Simple, straightforward, but it encapsulates expository preaching. Read the text, explain the text, and apply the text. Now let's move to my definition of expository preaching that I have gathered as I put together various definitions and then added my own particular flavor to it. And my definition is an expository sermon "...is a sermon whose structure is determined by a scriptural unit of thought, whose substance is determined by a thorough exegesis of the text and the congregation, whose success is dependent on the Spirit of God, empowering the servant of God to explain, illustrate, and apply the truth of God in such a way that the voice of God is heard the glory of God is seen and the will of God is obeyed. Now let me give an example that I think will explain what I am saying about expository preaching. Here we have a swimming pool and the Furniture around the swimming pool, and we have the diving board. An expository sermon is a sermon in which the text and the sermon are the same. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Some people, when they take a text, all the text is is a place to dive into the sermon. They read a text and never get back to it the rest of the sermon. And you're thinking, when is he going to talk about the text? And he never does. He just swims around in the sermon. Other people, the text is like the furniture around the pool. He'll read the text, he'll stay in it a little bit, and then he jumps into the sermon and swims around in it. It has nothing to do with the text. Then he might go back and sit with the text a few more minutes and then he goes back into A sermon, and again, it has nothing to do with the text. These are examples of sermons that are not expository sermons. In an expository sermon, the text is the sermon. You read the text, you develop the text, you explain the text, you illustrate the text, and then you apply the text. So, an expository sermon. The sermon is the text, and the text is the sermon. As you develop it and explain it and apply it, you spend your whole time swimming in the text. This is the very heart of an expository sermon. Now that concludes our first lesson. The next lesson we will again look at the definition of an expository sermon, and we will unpack that definition in great detail. Hope to see you next time in Lesson 2. Welcome to Lesson 2 of Expository Preaching, brought to you by A.T. Stewart Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. A.T. Stewart Ministries exists for the purpose of glorifying God by feeding those who hunger for the meat of God's Word. You can go to atstuart.com, and there are many free sermons there that are biblical, relevant, and practical. And I'm offering this course free of charge to anyone who wants to learn how to preach God's Word expositorily. Last lesson, we began by looking at the definition of expository preaching. In this lesson, we will begin by looking at this definition and expounding on it. Expository preaching. An expository sermon is a sermon whose structure is determined by a scriptural unit of thought, whose substance is determined by a thorough exegesis of the text and the congregation, and whose success is dependent on the Spirit of God, empowering the servant of God, to explain, illustrate, and apply the truth of God in such a way that the voice of God is heard, the glory of God is seen, and the will of God is obeyed. Now I grant you this is a rather long definition, but I think it does encompass what I'll be saying about expository preaching. If you'd like a shorter definition, i offer you one given by Stephen Alfred, who says expository preaching is when you read the text... You explain the text, and you apply the text. That's a good simple definition that surely you can remember. But now let's unpack the definition that I've set forth for you. First, we need to realize that an expository sermon is a sermon whose structure is determined by a scriptural unit of thought. Now by its structure, I mean its outline its basic shape its form and in an expository sermon the text determines the form the structure the outline of the sermon now I say it needs to be a unit of thought I say that because some people say an expository sermon has to be a paragraph or it has to be at least several verses or it needs to be a chapter to be expository I do not agree I think as long as it is a scriptural unit of thought, a complete thought, then it can serve as the text for an expository sermon. Now I want to give you some examples of how a verse can serve as a unit of thought, how a paragraph can serve as a unit of thought, several verses, and then how a complete story can serve as a unit of thought. First of all, a verse. Colossians 1.16 Paul says, For by Him are all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, by the thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Now I am picking up on the prepositions that are given in this passage and using those to form the sermon for by him and through him and for him now let's look at the outline that I got from this passage I was preaching a series on the incomparable Christ and I use this passage to speak of him as the creator And there are three points. First, in Him. The plan of creation is in the incomparable Christ. Second point is through Him. The power for creation is the incomparable Christ. And then, for Him. The purpose of creation is the incomparable Christ. So again, I simply took the prepositions by, through, and for and use those to help me get the structure for the expository sermon which was a unit of thought from a verse colossians 1:16 also you can use several verses as your unit of thought in an expository sermon philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 paul is talking about the humility of Jesus. And he says, "...have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But He emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." So here we have several verses that go together to make up the unit of thought about Christ's humility. Now, I that Christ, the most humble one. And the first section is the incomparable Christ is God Himself. Now, this comes from verse 6. Christ existed from eternity past as very God of very God. Christ as God Himself was giving, not grasping. So you see in verse 6, who although he existed in the form of God, that is, he was very God of very God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So that is the second sub-point under Roman numeral 1. Christ, God himself, was giving, not grasping. Now point 2 the incomparable Christ humbled Himself is found in verses 7 and 8. Subpoints: A. He humbled Himself by making Himself nothing. B. Christ humbled Himself by becoming in reality a bondservant. C. Christ humbled Himself by looking like an ordinary servant. And D. Christ humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. And again... I took these from the text, verses 7 and 8. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then the last point was purely application. What should our response be to the incomparable Christ, the most humble one? Now you can listen to this sermon if you will go to atstuart.sermonaudio.com and there's you in the filter if you look up series and you'll find the series on the incomparable Christ or you can search by scripture and go to Philippians and you can actually listen to this sermon and see how I developed it. And so there you have a unit of thought being several verses. A unit of thought can also be a paragraph. Now, for this, you need to take out your Bible. You can pause the video, get your Bible, and turn over to Matthew chapter 9. And we'll look at verses 1 through 8 as we see the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. And we'll see a paragraph that can be used as a unit of thought. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, and we'll be using that throughout our study. As an expository preacher, every word is very important, and therefore I want a word-for-word translation of the Holy Scriptures. The New American Standard, the English Standard Version, are very good literal word-for-word translations. Verse 1, "...Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city." They brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. So in verses 1 and 2, the Roman numeral main heading is Jesus' ultimate cleansing power revealed. And the 1st subpoint: the paralytic's ultimate need. Now what was this paralytic's ultimate need? It wasn't to be healed so he could walk. It wasn't to be healed of his paralysis. Jesus addresses his ultimate need when he says, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. This man's ultimate need was the forgiveness of his sins. Just like it is the ultimate need of every human being. And that makes Roman numeral uh, one point B. Every person's ultimate need. And then the second major point is Jesus' ultimate cleansing power denied. In verses 3 and 4. First, we see the scribes accuse Jesus of blasphemy. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. Now, why did they accuse Jesus of blasphemy? Because they knew only God could forgive sins. And when Jesus said to this man, Your sins are forgiven, they knew Jesus was claiming a divine prerogative and therefore putting himself on equal footing with God, which they considered to be blasphemy. And then point B, Jesus knew their thoughts. Verse 4. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? So Jesus' cleansing power, spiritual cleansing power, was revealed when he forgave this paralytic sins. His ultimate cleansing power was denied by the scribes who accused him of blasphemy. And the third point, Jesus' ultimate cleansing power is proven in verses 5 through 8. Jesus said, Which is easier to say? your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up, and he went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. So Jesus knew their thoughts His ultimate cleansing power is proven when He puts a question to them which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. Well, I might ask you that question. Which is easier to say? Well, there's a double meaning going on here. It would obviously be be easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody would know if they were or not. That's strictly a spiritual issue. But to say take up your bed, get up and walk. Well, now that would be something physically seen or not. And that would be the harder thing to say and and accomplish on the physical level. But in reality, the harder thing to say would be your sins are forgiven because no one can forgive sins except God. But Jesus, working on their level, knows that if he heals this man who is lame and he gets up and walks, they will recognize that he also has authority to forgive sins. And so Jesus tells this man to get up, pick up his bed, and go home. And the man immediately is healed, and he does what Jesus commands. And the people immediately see that Jesus has the power to heal, and therefore the power to forgive sins. So this is an example where the structure of the sermon is determined by a paragraph. Now, we talked about the structure of the sermon. Now, let's talk about the substance of the sermon. Because you remember our definition of an expository sermon is a sermon whose structure is determined by a scriptural unit of thought, which we've just talked about, whose substance is determined by a thorough exegesis of the text and the congregation and what do we mean by that the substance is what goes into the sermon the structure the outline is given to you by the text but also what you put in the sermon is determined by a thorough exegesis of the text and the congregation now historical grammatical exegesis is what I'm speaking about when I say thorough exegesis of the text. That is, you go back to the historical meaning of the text. What did the words originally mean to the author? What What was the authorial intent? What did he really want to accomplish? What did he mean by the words that he wrote? What would the first hearers understand him to be? To mean, or the first readers, what would they understand him to say? That's what you want to get back to. What you think it says, what I think it says, doesn't matter. What was the authorial intent? What was the original purpose of the text and its meaning? So use all the grammatical tools of hermeneutics to do a thorough exegesis of the text. Now, the scope of this class is not to teach hermeneutics. Uh, to teach your hermeneutics, how to interpret the text but homiletics, but I will nevertheless cover a few basic principles of hermeneutics. But not only must you exegete the text, but you must also exegete the congregation. You do not preach in a vacuum. The Bible was not written in a vacuum. Paul wrote his epistles to churches that had particular needs, and he addressed those needs. When you preach to a congregation, you are preaching to a particular group of people, and you need to know your audience. You need to know the people that you're preaching to. One of the hard things about expository preaching is you must leave out 80% of what you've learned in your thorough study of the text. Well, what determines the 20% you leave in? Well, that determines by the congregation as the Holy Spirit shows you and reveals to you what that congregation needs to hear from this text and you include in the message what will speak to that congregation. Now, if you've been preaching to a congregation for a long time uh, and you get to know them better and better, your sermons should reflect that, particularly your application. I remember early on in my ministry when I had to produce three sermons a week I used to spend a great amount of time in the study. And when I'd be with people sometimes, I would think, man, I'm wasting my time. I need to be in my study. But then God revealed to me that the people are what the ministry is all about. And the better I got to know the people, spending time with them, even if it was was just talking and, and getting to know them even on a surface level, it would make my preaching better because the better I knew them and knew what their needs were knew what their concerns were knew what their worries were the better I could apply the sermon to their situation. And so it's important to take time to get to know your congregation because the application will be centered on the needs of the congregation as the Holy Spirit reveals them to you. And so the substance of the sermon is determined by a thorough exegesis of the text and the congregation. And again, we'll be covering this more in detail. Now let's look at the success of the sermon. What determines the success of the expository sermon? In our definition, whose success is dependent on the Spirit of God empowering the servant of God to explain, to illustrate, and to apply the truth of God. And so the success of an expository sermon is completely dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. A sermon is not a lecture. What differentiates a sermon from a lecture is the Spirit of God. If you do not have the empowering of the God Spirit, then you're not preaching. You're just giving a lecture. We cannot. No person can say anything that will change a human life unless the Spirit of God empowers those words. Hear me clearly. We are completely dependent on the Spirit of God to empower us to preach His Word in a way that lives will be transformed. It's because we don't transform lives. The Holy Spirit transforms lives. I tell my students, prepare your sermon like it all depends on you. But preach your sermon knowing it all depends on God. You must take time to prepare. Because we depend on God's Spirit completely does not mean we do not take time to prepare the sermon, to study the text. The Bible says be an approved workman, rightly dividing the Word of God. That takes effort and study. We have to do our part. But we must realize we are dependent on the Holy Spirit in every step of the process. Unless the Spirit of God is moving, then we will accomplish absolutely nothing for the kingdom of God. But the success of the sermon is the Spirit of God empowering the man of God to explain the text, to illustrate the text, and to apply the text. And it goes on to say... The servant of God opening up the Word of God so that the voice of God is heard. We want people to hear God in the message. Someone comes up to you after the sermon and says, Oh, preacher, that was a great sermon. You did not succeed. If they come up to you and say, Preacher, I met God today in the sermon, then you've succeeded. If they said, God spoke to me today in the message, then you've succeeded. If they say, man, I heard God today. That's what we want. We want them to hear the voice of God. And the voice of God is heard in the Word of God. That's why the sermon is the text. you got to open up the Word of God. And in so doing, by the Spirit of God, they will hear the voice of God. God will speak to them directly. He will deal with them by His Word. And they will know they have not heard just from a man, but they have heard From God. And that's our desire that they hear from God so that His voice is heard and His glory is seen. It's all about God's glory, not about your glory, not about my glory, but God's glory. If they can but see the glory of God, they will be transformed. John Piper speaks about God's desire for His glory. When he says, behind and beneath the sovereign exercises of God's mercy as king is an unwavering passion for the honor of his name and the display of his glory. You see, when they see the glory of God, they are transformed. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed to the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. As they see the glory of the Lord, even as in a mirror, it transforms us. It transforms us into the image of Christ from glory to glory. So we want them to hear the voice of God. We want them to see the glory of God so they will be transformed. And then thirdly, we open up the Word of God that they might obey the will of God. Now, you cannot make someone obey God's will. But that is our desire, that they would obey the will of God. That we bring them to a place, they hear His voice, they see His glory, and they obey His will. Now, as we wind down this lesson, just let me summarize again the definition of of an expository sermon. It's a sermon whose structure is determined by a scriptural unit of thought, whose substance is determined by a thorough exegesis of the text and the congregation, whose success is dependent on the Spirit of God empowering the servant of God to explain, illustrate, and apply the truth of God in such a way That the voice of God is heard, the glory of God is seen, and the will of God is obeyed. I'm glad you've joined me for this lesson two. And I hope you'll join me for lesson three as we see every preacher's mandate from God.